Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of the Psalms. It's a very familiar passage, the the 23rd Psalm. I'm going to be reading it from the New Revised Standard Version like we do each week. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our minds and hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as the holidays approach, my mind often goes back in time to traveling with my family for, to visit family over the holidays. In fact, one of the stories I've told you before and one of the stories that is always told over and over again at the holidays with my family is a time we took a trip uh, as a family to uh, visit family down at Polly's Island for uh, Thanksgiving. We were young children. I was still a baby. My brother was just entering his terrible twos, and we were doing everything we could to drive my parents crazy at that time. Imagine that. As we were driving, my mom was the one navigating. She had a big map, uh, one of those fold-out maps that you can't find anymore, and she was navigating my father as he drove. But of course, my, my brother and I, at some point, our resiliency fell apart, and we started screaming in the car. And so my mom put the map down and turned her attention to us in the back seat, trying to keep us together and keep us from screaming and distracting my dad. While he was driving, since she had put down the map, we were up to his navigation skills and his directional skills to get us where we were going, which of course meant that we got a little off course. When my mom finally turned around and realized what was going on, she jabbed my father in the side and said, you need to turn around, you're going the wrong way. That has still a tradition in my family today for my mom to jab my father in the side while he's driving. Of course, he knew he was going the right direction, and so every time she would jab him, he would drive faster and keep going the way he was heading. Finally, he said, I know sooner or later we're going to see a sign that's going to take us right back on path where we needed to go, and my father was right. As we were heading towards what he thought was Polly's Island, he finally did see a sign from God telling him exactly where he needed to go. And the sign said, welcome to North Carolina. (laughs) He realized then he needed to turn around. But we all need signs like that from time to time. Signs that not only tell us the direction that we're going, but also signs or symbols that tell us exactly where we are. 
And that actually happens all around us every single day. When you walked into the sanctuary this morning, you, whether you could read or not, you saw a sign, that cross that hangs uh, uh, right behind me. And if you didn't read any sign coming into the building, you could see that cross and you would know you were in a Christian church. That's where we are right now. Are your, fam- your, your friends and your family and your neighbors as you're going through your neighborhood, if you see a flag hanging on their, their doorstep, it might tell you that they're proud of their nation or they're proud of their nationality or it may tell you that they're proud of their favorite football team, something along those lines. We have these symbols all around us every single day that give us a little bit of a hint or a deeper meaning, maybe something that we're supposed to catch that might seem like it's unspoken, but that we're supposed to catch on to it when we see those symbols or those signs around us. And literary critics will tell you that those symbols and those signs are found all throughout the Bible. Sometimes they pass over us because we read the Bible so quickly, but if we do a deep Bible study, you can see that those symbols are right in there. Sometimes there are people's names that have a deeper meaning when we do a, a little deeper dive into what those names mean. Sometimes they're numbers. You see numbers in the Bible and we think, I wonder what that number means. And when we study, we realize that those numbers do have a deeper meaning that we don't catch on to unless we do a deep Bible study. And even locations... Geographic locations can have a deeper meaning that if we read the Bible and study the Bible, you will see that there's more going on here if we just study and learn what those locations mean. Trinity talked about one of those locations last week, the mountaintop. Every time, or most of the times, when you see the mountain in the Bible, it means that the people in the story are about to go into the presence of God. That's just what the mountain means. Every time you read the Bible and you see the people were going up the mountain, that's a little, that's a little poke from somebody saying they're about to go into the presence of God. Get ready. What you're about to see is the people in the presence of God. When Moses goes up to the mountaintop and he sees the burning bush on the side of the mountain, that's go, going up to the presence of God. Or when he, he goes up to get to the, the, the law of God, he's going up the mountain to be in God. God's presence. Or when Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, that's a signal that we're in the presence of God while Jesus is teaching. Or even last week in the story of the, the transfiguration, which is what Trinity read to you, that's a story that the Jesus and the disciples go up to the mountain and this great bright light shines and we realize here on the mountaintop, we're in God's presence. God is with us. And so we need to be prepared for how God might be changing our lives in these moments as we go up to the mountaintop and live and dwell in the presence of God. But of course, if the mountaintop represents being in God's presence, then the opposite of that must also be true too. When you read the Bible and you see something about the valley or the low place or, or the deserted place, that is a sign or a signal that trouble is afoot. When you read about the valley or you read about people down in the, in the deepest valley, that's a sign that maybe people are feeling helpless, feeling hopeless, feeling in need, looking up to God, crying out to God, asking for God's help. Anytime you see that valley, that's a symbol that people might be facing the valley of the shadow of death, which is what we normally read when we read the 23rd Psalm. And the people of Jerusalem actually had a visible symbol of that in their own life every single day. The city of Jerusalem in ancient Near East and even today was actually up on the top of a hill, believe it or not. Again, symbolizing it was a city on the hill in the presence of God. But right outside the city gates, if you went outside one of the gates of the walls, right down a very steep cliff was a valley called the Valley of Hinnom. 
And the Valley of Hinnom was uh, basically the landfill for the city of Jerusalem. Every time they had trash, sewage, refuse, any kind, it all went down to the Valley of Hinnom, just outside the city gates, just outside the city of Jerusalem. And the Valley of Hinnom, which was a place where all the trash went to, all the uncleanliness, all the unholiness, the place that none of us want to go, in order to keep that trash mound from growing too high, guess what they would do? They would set fires in the valley to keep the trash from growing too high. And so the Valley of Hinnom was a, a place where there were always fires burning right outside the gates of Jerusalem. This deep, dark valley of unholiness, of eternal fire. Well, believe it or not, from that word, the Valley of Hinnom, a new word grew out of that, that the people of Jerusalem referred to as Gehenna. And that is the name that we often translate in the Bible as hell. Gehenna. The place right outside the city's walls, that, that deep valley of eternal fire where people could see every single day and they knew, oh, that's an awful place. That's a place where I don't want to be. That's a place where I wonder if God can even see what's going on down there. Gehenna, just right outside the walls, right down the slope of the mountain. It's right there in front of my face. Gehenna. Now, many of us, I don't know if you've been to Jerusalem. I've never been to Jerusalem to see the Valley of Hinnom, but I have had many people come to me and tell me that they know what it's like to be in Gehenna. People who have suffered every single day of their life, they have had some sort of debilitating disease, and as many times as they prayed and asked God for help, they still feel helpless and they still feel hopeless. Gehenna. Are people who have tried very hard to apply for jobs and for some reason unknown to them, they keep getting turned down again and again and so they can't pay their bills like they want to. Gehenna. Are people in war-torn countries who every single day of their life have to fight for their own lives, have to fight to protect their family, and all they want to do is get out of that country and get to a place where they can feel safe and have freedom, but they can't escape. They're in Gehenna are people who have loved ones who are struggling with addiction and they've spent all their time and all their money and all their energy to try to pull them up out of that pit, but they just can't get them out of there. Gehenna. Or someone who's had a child who's suffered and you want more than anything else to take the place of that child so that they don't have to suffer anymore. Gehenna. Or maybe just someone who's lost a loved one. And that loved one is still with you every single day like a shroud of death that you can't overcome because your heart has a hole in it that cannot be filled. Gehenna. It's from the place of Gehenna where we cry out those prayers like, Where are you, God? Why have you left me alone? I can't find you here. I can't see you here. Do you care about me? Those are the prayers we hear from Gehenna. And believe it or not, those are prayers that are very common all throughout Holy Scripture. In fact, those are the prayers that Jesus Christ cries out Himself when He is hanging on the cross, when He is in His own moment of death. He cries out, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Why have You left me alone? The good news of Psalm 23 is 
that we are supposed to believe in spite of the fact that there's pain and suffering all around us, in spite of the fact that we might be in the valley and we can't see God at work, we are supposed to believe that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there, God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, even though we would much rather be up on the mountaintop, even though we would much rather be in places where God's glory shows all around, even down in the valley, God can do God's work, moving us and changing us and transforming us. Even though God would never wish us to be there, God is even there working. And maybe the most important part of our faith is that our faith reminds us that God is even there. Even there. Even there. One of my favorite stories about Mr. Rogers that I've told you many times before is a a story about a, a young man named Matthew who had cerebral palsy and he had lots of other ailments and illnesses that made it very difficult for him to really do anything in his life. He needed constant care, constant attention, constant help. And one of the few things in his life that gave him a little bit of moment of peace was when he turned on the television set and watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And so One day the family decided Mr. Rogers needs to know about this and so they wrote him a letter just to say thank you for for your television show and thank you for the chance to give us that little bit of peace uh, every day. Well, it turned out that Mr. Rogers was going to be pretty close to where Matthew lived and so without any fanfare, without any notice to the newspapers, he told the family, I'm going to come and visit Matthew and say hello to him. And, and sure enough, he did. It got Matthew so excited, he couldn't believe he was about to see his hero. And it, he got so excited, in fact, that it was too much for him. He got angry and upset. He was like, I don't even know if I can do this. I don't even know if I can see this great man that I see on TV. And so he got angry and upset because that's all he could do in the condition that he was in. He started lashing out and getting angry at his parents and getting angry at his nurses. And he he didn't want anyone to be around him. And so when Mr. Rogers showed up at the door, his parents said, thank you so much for coming. But He just isn't in the mood today. Can you just maybe leave an autograph and and that'll be enough? But Mr. Rogers said, no, I'll I'll wait. Well, they told Matthew that Mr. Rogers was waiting. That made him even more mad. He said, I don't want to see him today. I've told you all this. I can't handle it today. But Mr. Rogers said, no, I have a favor to ask of Matthew. Well, this intrigued Matthew, and he said, okay, I'll see Mr. Rogers. And when he came in the room, Matthew had calmed down just enough so that Mr. Rogers could lean over and whisper in his ear, will you pray for me? Matthew thought, you want me to pray for you? But that's what Mr. Rogers asked him. And he, of course, promised, I'll pray for you. Whatever you're going through, Mr. Rogers, I will pray for you. And as he left, the family thought, oh, Fred, that was so brilliant. What an incredible move. That calmed him right down. He was so happy to hear those words from you. That was just a brilliant parenting technique. And Fred said, no, not at all. It was sincere. Because someone who is going through all that he is going through must have a very special relationship with God. Someone who is going through the depths of the valley, must have a very special relationship with God. I haven't gone through many valleys in my life, let me be honest with you. 
In those moments when I have, when I have felt alone, I will tell you God is usually the only one I lean on. And I cry out prayers like, where in the world are you? But I continue to lean on God, trusting that somehow, some way, God will make God's self known to us in the midst of the valley. And our faith is, our hope is, that even in the valley, God does God's best work. In fact, that's really the central point of our faith, is not that God stands up on a mountaintop and waits for us to find God up there, but that God comes right to us, right where we are in the midst of our pain and our suffering, and that's where God transforms the world. In fact, in about a month or so, we're going to celebrate just that. Christmas morning, that's probably a a mountaintop experience for most of us. But the truth of the matter is, it's just the opposite of that. It's a sign and a symbol of God coming to the depths of the world, the darkness and the dreariness of the world, being born as a slave in a manger among shepherds and sheep, coming to the darkest places of the world to transform the world. On Christmas, I always like to remember that little parable that I've shared with you before about often told at AA meetings and Al-Anon meetings. It's a story of a man who falls down into a deep pit and he tries very hard to climb himself up using his fingernails to get up out of the pit. And as he's climbing, he continues to slide back down and he realizes there's no way I can get out on my own. Finally, someone walks by, but he cries up to the person walking by and says, can you help me get out of this pit? And the man says, I have no way of helping, but I'll pray for you. And he keeps walking on by. Then another person comes by. Miraculously, this person has a rope. And so he asks for help once again. The person throws the rope down, but for some reason can't seem to get the man back up. And so once again, that person walks by. Finally, a third person comes by and he cries out and says, can you please help me get out of this pit? And without saying a word, that third person jumps down in the pit with him. And he says, well, wait a minute. Now we're both stuck in a pit. That wasn't a smart thing to do. The man replies, I've been in this pit before. I can show you how to get out. Jesus Christ doesn't stand up on a mountaintop and throw lines down to us hoping we can find our way up. Jesus Christ comes into the depths and the pains of this world to the deepest and darkest valleys because Jesus Christ can transform even the valley. If you're in a valley in your own life right now, I can give you a couple of examples of how that's taken place. This cross is one example of that. Back during Jesus' time, this cross was a symbol of pain. It was a symbol of terror. It was a symbol of execution. It was the worst curse you could send to someone else. Now, it's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of new life. It's the symbol that gives us hope this day and every day. Or maybe even just outside of Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem today, like I say, I've never been, but you look out over that wall down into that valley, that valley of Hinnom that used to be the the trash heap of Jerusalem. Now today, it's actually a beautiful green space. They've transformed it into almost a beautiful garden with greenery and flowers and trees where you can walk and, and be outside with God in God's nature. It used to be Gehenna. But it's a sign that even the fires of Gehenna 
can be extinguished by the grace of God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're with me. And whether I'm on the mountaintop or whether I'm in the valley, I will live with God my whole life long. Everywhere I go is a holy place because no matter where I go, I am not alone. To the glory of God. Amen.